0: the on-time running target hasn't been met since they took over. It's been almost a year and a half now. Now, what the government seems to have done is they're going around and essentially denuding services, shortening them, training people not to catch a bus to a certain point, and then when the dead zone's created, you get on-demand services filling it.
1: Hi, and welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. Today, we've got Dave Babineau, who's Secretary of the Tram and Bus Division of the RTBU. We're going to be talking about the proposed privatisation of Region 9, that's the Eastern Suburbs Bus Services, how that's going to impact commuters, and what we can learn from already regions that have been privatised, such as the Inner West and Newcastle. Dave, welcome to Coogee Voice. More than 68 million people use Region 9, that's the Eastern Suburbs Bus Services, in the last year. What will privatisation do to those 68 million people?
0: The worst thing it'll probably do is that those 68 million people will have no idea what's going to happen to them. Their bus stops will disappear. No one's got to talk to them.
1: How do we know that?
0: Well, this is exactly what's happened in in both Newcastle and in the inner west. It's been, yeah, it's been terrible. Um, We've actually, the the terrible thing is that people originally sat there and said, oh, the unions, you know, it's a scare campaign. And then when it happened, it was so much worse than anything we'd said.
1: So talk us a little bit about this. Region 6, which is the inner west bus services, they were privatised last year. What's happened?
0: Well, the, what's happened is unfortunately been both for the public and for the workers. So for the public you've seen things like the on-time running target hasn't been met since they took over. It's been almost a year and a half now. You've got, you know, we had a letter of support the other day from the Teachers' Federation specifically because they recognised that there was, you know, kids were, were not getting picked up when they should have. Charters were running late. And as far as they're concerned, it was a duty of care, both for students and faculty getting to and from the schools.
1: So one of the other things I've heard, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that bus stops have disappeared. Is that true? And what impact does that have on commuters?
0: So what happened is in 2017, State Transit started putting forward measures that the government could take so that the network could be given basically maintenance as it went on. Now, that was rejected. They asked for, I think, $5 million to make that happen. That was rejected. So the network has been deliberately run down. And now you've got a situation where to make things really appealing to the private operator when they come in, they do all these things that should have been done on an incremental basis with community consultation and all of a sudden, bang, you've got over 50 bus stops ripped out of the inner west.
1: Dave, one of the things I've heard from the inner west, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that since the privatisation, bus stops have disappeared. Is this correct? And if so, what are the implications of this for commuters?
0: Well, obviously... Bus stops disappearing is a problem because then you know, you've you got to make alternative arrangements. That means getting up earlier. It means potentially catching buses that are coming earlier. In the east in particular, you guys are looking at a different scenario, which is probably going to be worse because you've got the light rail. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to take away bus stops that are too close to the light rail. So uh, an example would be Cowper Street, where there's a bus stop. I think it's, it's about 200 meters. It's right there. It's you know, really close to the station. That will go. That will go. You know because as far as Andrew Constance is concerned and he's put this in writing to to one of your constituents who was concerned about his elderly mother having to walk the extra distance and he said basically 800 meters is a reasonable distance for you to walk.
1: 800 meters in a walking frame mm.
0: Well, clearly he's not doing it, so he's happy to say that.
1: Right. So that's what you're talking about is so the distance between bus stops will increase. And For me, if I, the first thing that comes to me is people with ailments, the elderly, people with small children. If that just leads to isolation and separation. These aren't good things for our community, are they?
0: No, look, and this is the difference between public transport and a public service, okay? Anyone can jump in a minibus and go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But what we have is a system specifically designed so that the vulnerable people within our society are cared for. You know, that's that's what it's supposed to be about. It's not just about making a buck, but we actually make a buck anyway. It's about providing a service to the community. We find lost children. We stop sexual assaults just by being on the bus, just by standing up and taking an interest in what's going on. Our, our members are invested in the communities in which they live. Dave,
1: the eastern suburbs love their buses and there's been quite a number of big campaigns around saving our buses in particular big one that comes to mind for me is bring back the 378 do you have any insights as to why that bus route changed and there's now no longer a direct bus route which was the 378 that goes from bronte down oxford street into the city
0: there'd be two parts to that the first is that the long cross regional routes you find they are starting they're starting to break those up because what you find is that when you have a long route, if you break it up into two or three sections and you service those individually across the entirety of it, you get to save a couple buses and those couple buses can go somewhere else. The other part is that the on-demand stuff has been a real problem. It runs at a loss. It's subsidised up to $800 per person. Um, I know in the inner west they're so underused that they're actually using them as staff buses to take staff to and from Strathfield Station. Now. What the government seems to have done is they're going around and essentially denuding services, shortening them, training people not to catch a bus to a certain point, and then when the dead zone's created, you get on-demand services filling it. It's a really cynical way of going about and and helping people get around town.
1: Well, Dave, what I'm hearing from you is really that when you privatise these services, that public service goes and profit comes before people.
0: Absolutely. That's, and, and, and look, it's it's hard. It's hard. a hard thing to explain to people because, yes, the government retains ownership of the assets here and there, but it's a fundamental driver of, of, of the service that's going to change. So you're not going to have decisions made for people or you're not going to have consideration for, for basically the everyday person who's trying to get around people with mobility issues. The underlying principle here is how can we, through sheer numbers alone, make a better product? And it's about a product. It's not about a service.
1: So for those 68 million commuters, things are dramatically going to change.
0: It's it's going to be very slow at first because nothing ever happens while people are watching. You'll notice in the inner west, there hasn't been much going on over the last few months because the government's been gearing up for this and desperately trying to get them to meet their on-time running targets. And what you're going to find is it'll be the little things that change. So the route that used to go down to the retirement village, say once an hour will be once once every two hours, if it still runs. You'll find services, the little services that deal with people it's a patronage thing. So it doesn't matter if you've got five or six elderly people getting on at a bus stop. If they're the only ones catching the bus, well the bus will go. It's it's really it's gonna be commercial driven.
1: Yeah, so those big buses like our 333, which are jam-packed on Saturdays, Sundays, bringing tourists down to the beach, those buses are going to be fine. It's those little buses that are going into the suburbs, taking Betty to the doctors at 11am. They're the ones that are first under threat.
0: Betty is going to be in real, real trouble. Um, You'll find that actually the services they pull from those small suburban routes that that actually are what you would genuinely consider the the public service component of transport, those buses will be taken and they will be put on the triple three routes. They'll be put on the routes that have a guaranteed patronage. And what you do is you train everyone in those areas never to catch a bus because your bus is gone.
1: Climate change is an issue. We're trying to actually reduce our carbon footprint. Congestion on our roads is getting out of control. Don't we want people catching mass transit?
0: Absolutely. It's, it was a very strange thing the minister said when he turned around and he linked electric buses with the provision of, of public transport. In actual fact, the government announced, it was earlier, much earlier this year, that Randwick Depot, for example, was going to be 100% electric You know, within five years. Now that's got nothing to do with whether or not a private company is ripping out profit from what used to go into the network or used to go into schools. It's got nothing to do with it.
1: Dave. The last three remaining bus regions are about to be privatised, so the entire bus network in New South Wales is going to be privately operated. What is that going to do for competition?
0: Well, we've seen that inevitably at some point prices will rise. Now, the government will turn around and say that that's independently controlled. Um, The government also turned around and said they wouldn't privatise any further assets, so I'm really not sure at this point how great their credibility is when it comes to that. every state that this has happened in prices have gone up it's that simple it may not happen straight away but once the government has that distance of, of private operators between it and the people it's supposed to be representing you know they'll, they'll do what they want.
1: Dave you recently invited me to Waverley and Ramwick bus depot to talk to staff about how the privatization uh, could impact them and their thoughts their feelings about this I wasn't allowed in why was that?
0: Well It's a good question. My understanding is that uh, as long as you didn't say anything negative about the government that you would be allowed on, Um, my understanding also is that that's kind of your job at the moment is to represent your constituents, uh, especially in the face of, you know, what is going to be a massive change for both, you know, the general public as well as our members.
1: Dave, this is actually to me even scarier. Um, Dave... This for me is actually quite a scary thing to be talking about. Regardless of what the listeners think about privatisation, the fact that we now have a government that isn't actually allowing critical debate to happen around public policy. This is something we should all be quite concerned about. Um, In particular, not allowing elected members to be able to talk to constituents and workers about how public policy is not only going to impact their work, but also impact service delivery. Do you have any thoughts about this?
0: It is a trend, in particular with the Liberal National Party. We've seen it federally with the way things are going in terms of laws that allow you know, far, far reaching invasions into privacy, as well as, you know, anti whistleblowing laws. The fact that it's extending to an MP is really, really troubling. And this government in particular at state level, we saw up in Newcastle, for example, when they opened the trams up there and we had somebody from the Herald asking a question and both the Premier and the Transport Minister turned around and gave this person a dressing down, saying, oh, well, you should be supportive, et cetera, et cetera, and publicly told this journalist, don't go doing your job, don't ask those questions. Now, that's an issue but having an elected official of the people of New South Wales being told you cannot criticise the sitting government is more than an issue. It's, it's, It's a huge concern.
1: Well, Dave, the silver lining was we ended up having a meeting outside in the street and having a big public rally. For me... Actually, that's where I think these debates and conversations should be happening. I was very happy to have a conversation behind closed doors with workers, with the unions, to be able to discuss how privatisation could change it. But they pushed us out into the public where I do believe these debates should be happening.
0: As far as I'm concerned, that's where we'll end up every time. At the end of the day, these issues need to be debated. Well, I'm not going to settle for having them hidden, and I know you're not either. It's, It's something that absolutely has to be out there with the public where it belongs and You know, the public demands no less of you and our members demand the same thing of me.
1: Dave, since the privatisation was announced, I've had thousands of pieces of correspondence, people writing to me, emailing me, coming up to me in the street. I've had classes write me letters. I've had people signing petitions because people are really concerned about this privatisation. You know, they want to know what's happening. Where is this consultation coming from and how can people find out more?
0: I'd love to be able to point you in a direction, but it's a black hole. It is absolutely a black hole. The inner west was the same, Newcastle was the same. People have no idea what's going to happen until it's done to them. And we're talking about a government that's supposed to be there to actually provide a public service and provide a framework for everyone to move forward, and all you've got is a government telling people, well, no, actually, your bus stop's going, and you have no opportunity to turn around and say, well, why? Demonstrate to me why my taxpayer dollars can't pay for that bloody bus stop that's been there for 30 years. It's
1: 2019. We could be mistaken. It's
0: 1984.
1: Sadly. Dave, thank you very much for being on this episode of Could You Voice. If people want to get involved in either the union campaign or local campaigns, where should they
0: head? The outtransport.org website is where we're driving things from. At the end of the day, they can always contact you <laughs> um, if they're local. I know that you've got a rally going on. Our drivers are involved in that. And, um, you know, we're certainly working together at a local level to try and uh, reverse the decision because, as we've seen, you put enough pressure on them and they will flip. We saw it with the greyhounds. They tried to do five regional rural hospitals two years ago. They will flip if they think that they're in trouble and we need to make them make them see that they are absolutely in trouble.
1: That's right. Dave, Thank you for being on this episode of Could You Voice.
0: Pleasure. Thank you.
1: Wow. Who would have thought that over 68 million people use our buses every year? Wasn't that interesting hearing about that grassroots campaign? And there's already over 15,000 signatures trying to reverse that decision. Now, if you'd like to be involved in this campaign, please get in touch with my office at, at or you can check out the website That's it for this episode of Kooji Voice. Thanks for listening.